Good afternoon. Welcome to UK Column News. It's Wednesday the 10th of August and it's just after one o'clock. Delighted today to be joined by Alex Thompson in the studio and by Debbie Evans, our nursing correspondent, who will be joining us from sunny Cornwall. Uh, we'll uh, get uh, right to uh, the news now with uh, news from uh, the United States where there has been a raid on uh, no less a personage than the former president. And New York Times here reports FBI searches Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence in Florida. The former president called the search an assault and complained that the authorities had broken into his safe. The news seemed to come as a surprise to many in the White House. Uh, the New York Times continues, uh, President uh, Donald J. Trump said on Monday that the FBI had searched his Palm Beach, Florida home and had broken open a safe. Uh, an account signalling a major escalation in the various investigations into the final stages of his presidency. I wonder, David, whether that means that Mr Trump refused to give the safe uh, password, or code rather, uh, or whether they just decided to blow it up anyway. Well, I think it was a lockpick, actually. I think, I think it was uh, maybe the FBI have got a good, good contacts in the uh, fraternity of uh, safe crackers. They seem to be able to get in in any event. Uh, the uh, search, according to multiple people familiar with the investigation, appeared to be focused on material Mr. Trump had brought with him uh, to Mar-a-Lago, his private club and residence when he left the White House. These boxes contained many pages of classified documents, according to a person familiar with their contents. And uh, finally, from the New York Times here, uh, a quote from uh, The Donald. Uh, he said, after working and cooperating with the relevant government agencies, this unannounced raid in my home was not necessary or appropriate, Mr. Trump said, maintaining it was an effort to stop him from running in the president for president in 2024. Such an assault could only take place in broken third world countries. They even broke into my safe. And the uh, New York Times con con uh, uh, continues, criminal codes which carry jail time can be used to prosecute anyone who willing, uh, willfully injures or commits any depredation against any property of the United States and anyone who willfully and unlawfully conceals, removes, mutilates, obliterates, or destroys government documents. Now, um, Alex, this doesn't seem to apply uniformly across the board. I seem to remember one Hillary Clinton, for example, had a whole vast array of documents on her home server, which was taken apart and then destroyed in acid, and yet there was no uh, Department of Justice uh, attack on her. What, what would you say to that? Um, I would say that's perfectly possible if there are people at the Department of Justice who regard themselves as being on Team Hillary and on Team Anti-Trump. Uh, perish the thought, but that does seem to have been the tenor of what's come out from various House and Senate grillings of FBI and DOJ staff for the last five years, isn't it? So a politicised Department of Justice. Exactly right, yes. Uh, the, the Department of Justice as a club, as a weapon. Uh, one of the reasons that some of us despite all that he has done, can't help but like Donald Trump, came when the, this, this news came, he was on, uh, he was at a, a, a stump meeting supporting, I think, Sarah Palin, and he was speaking to a crowd, and when the, the subject of the raid on his home uh, by the FBI uh, came up, his response was to say, another day in paradise. So that's a lovely... A lovely Donald Trumpism to describe with, with heavy irony what it's like living under 
this third world dictatorship which is emerging in the United States. So that's the phrase which now forevermore links Phil Collins with Donald John Trump. <laughs> now, uh, on, on to reasons why this might have happened. Uh, we have here uh, an article from Vanity Fair reporting on the Donald, and they're saying he's more popular than ever. Um, he handily beats uh, Governor Ron De DeSantis in a straw poll for the president's presidential nomination for 2024. And incidentally, he also comfortably beats the incumbent Joe Biden in all the polls for the presidency in 2024. This, of course, is entirely in incidental to what you've just described. I'm sure it's got not well. It, it could have something to do with it, at least in terms of timing, mm -hmm. because there is a rule in the Department of Justice do not engage in any, uh, in any legal or criminal prosecutory action uh, of a political figure within, within 90 days of an election. 90 and, days, okay. And this raid was carried out 91 days before the midterm. So it does seem to have something to do uh, with politics. It's an astonishing coincidence. <laughs> Vanity Fair uh, continued... Uh, former President Donald Trump uh, appeared to be the favourite Republican nominee for president in 2024. He won overwhelming support from a straw poll at a Conservative Political Action Conference in Texas. Uh, he polled 69% of the thousand attendees, um, and uh, next was Ron DeSantis with 24%. Um, if uh, Trump chose not to run, then DeSantis also was a, a strong favourite. Uh, and we've got here... Also, uh, uh, Reuters speculating on whether this raid may have backfired badly politically. Um, so a former um, uh, top White House aide, uh, Alicia uh, Griffin, said um, to CNN that uh, the result had been outrage amongst Republican voters. Uh, quote, if it's seen as some sort of massive overreach and not something incredibly serious, uh, this is a very good day for Donald Trump. So it may galvanise his support and make it even more certain uh, that uh, he, he moves forward to challenge for the presidency in 2024. And of course, for those who don't follow US politics very closely, we should point out that Governor DeSantis uh, is governor of the state where Donald Trump likes to spend his time in that Mar-a-Lago mansion. And indeed, he's never denied the open secret that Governor Ron DeSantis would be his running mate for vice president on a dream ticket. So the, the number one and two are not opponents, really rivals in, in this race for the Republican nomination for the next presidential term, they're allies. Uh, so it's probably not entirely coincidental that the raid happened in Florida either. And uh, uh, finally in this session, uh, Alex, you were uh, reading the Solari report this morning. Um, and Sent uh, to us by one of our many decent viewers, the Solari report. There's nothing like a physical copy, even in this day of uh, an age of PDFs. And... Um, they were they were reporting some very interesting information from 1952 um, from a, uh, an early TV uh, cultural and political um, program where uh, Will, William Bradford Huey uh, was talking to a Republican uh, representative and later senator at this point representative uh, Kenneth Keating um, and uh, the the interaction was was very interesting. Uh, Alex, you might want to take us through this. Yes, so this is from the Longines Chronoscope television uh, chat show of 70 years ago. And like everything of 70 years ago, the standards of thought, of dress and of, of uh, 
uh, verbal expression are much, much higher than today. So Congressman Keating, who went on to be ambassador to Israel at the end of his life during the tumultuous period 73 to 75, and who was also a Harvard Law School graduate and a judge uh, after his uh, serving in Congress, he's being asked here, isn't it true that nations that have fallen into totalitarianism, remember Stalin was still alive at this point, that one of the agencies of government that's become a tool of totalitarianism, the question put to Keating, has been the Department of Justice. Isn't that one of the key agencies that shows deterioration. And Congressman Keating replies, absolutely, a dictator must get hold of the Justice Department and the police, the interior. Uh, then the next question to the, the Congressman is, so if our own country, as many people fear, if our own country should ever fall into totalitarianism, the Department of Justice would be one of the first failures, wouldn't it? Congressman Keating replies, it would be an absolutely essential cog in such a machine, meaning a totalitarian regime. And this is what we're seeing. We're seeing America fall into totalitarianism. Uh, when Donald Trump talks about third world dictatorships, this is by no means an exaggeration. This is uh, an accurate reflection of what is happening. And indeed, um, I would point out that everything that the West is currently accusing Vladimir Putin of, of, of manipulating the, the power of the state in order to crush internal political opposition, this is exactly what we're seeing here with Donald Trump and the American Department of Justice. They're accusing uh, Putin of everything that they themselves are guilty of. Uh, would you... Would you yes, yeah, so we, we, we hear uh, of figures such as Alexander Navalny being brutalised and of there being a managed democracy in Russia. Uh, in other words, nobody is allowed to become a candidate uh, who would be uh, in with a serious chance uh, of becoming a, an executive officer. Um, if they are, uh, if they haven't been approved by the deep state, and the tools to repress those who are not uh, approved are criminalization, raiding, trumped up, uh, sorry, pardon the pun, but trumped up charges of fraud, of mishandling classified information. Um, this happens in the United States, and I'm afraid it happens in Britain to an increasing extent as well. And and finally, before we leave this subject, uh, Alex, I'd like to get your comment on the fact that the White House. Uh, Joe Biden and uh, Kamala Harris and, and the advisors seemed not to be aware this was happening. Uh, is this another sign that we're dealing with a shadow government, a hidden government, a, a, a cryptocracy, um, a deep state? Yeah. And that's what's moving here, not simply the Democratic Party, as, as Donald Trump may suggest. Quite plainly, the DOJ has long, together with the State Department, long been... Uh, fingered, particularly in that McCarthyite era just after the Second World War, as the uh, haunt of the deep states that controls who gets to be president and vice president and to run the various uh, departments uh, of the US government. So that, that's nothing new. That was well acknowledged in the era in question. Uh, but this isn't just a problem in Britain. In uh, the United Kingdom, more particularly in Wales, which for a generation now has had its own devolved government, so it's federalised uh, local level of government, uh, this has been uh, coming to the fore uh, with political policing. We have already, already reported on this, but we're following it up with a report from Wales itself, because Big G's blog is one of the finest you'll find. Uh, the bilingual sign that's just gone on uh, off screen there, Heathley, which means the peace people, a wonderful Welsh name for the police. Well, not very peaceable here. Uh, because uh, we've cut out the beginning of this text, but what's being described by Big G uh, is the arrest uh, in January 
of uh, the Voice of Wales uh, journalistic duo who turned up at an event in which people were going to be warned of the adverse events of COVID jabs at the height of the jab campaign. So they've been describing at this point that uh, at the beginning of their uh, coverage of the event on site, the police had said, we're not turning up, we uh, just go ahead. But this all changed, the quotation on screen now, with the arrival of a chief inspector. So for those abroad, that's a fairly senior ranking policeman uh, called Martin Smith. Now, Smith arrived and completely escalated the situation. This is Big G quoting the voice of Wales with a rather unprofessional and hostile attitude. When the protesters explained why they were serving papers, that is warning people uh, administering the shots of their liability, the chief inspector was very rude. He insulted them, calling their protest bunkum. That's probably a, a breach of his oath, prima facie. Uh, people can freeze the screen to re read the rest, uh, but basically people get got hysterical uh, as a result of that. Now, the Voice of Wales reporters uh, named Dan and Stan were then held in custody for 32 hours, during which time Gwent Police, that's the southeast corner of Wales where the stadium in question was, Cumbran, used documents found on the group to further arrest them on fraud charges. We've already heard in our previous coverage of this, uh, and it's also been reported to us in other cases, that this is becoming increasingly standard practice in political policing in Britain, uh, that you use indictable offences for which you know that there is no evidence in order to uh, take people's equipment and research materials off them and stop them doing their job during politically sensitive times, in this case, during the jab campaign. So uh, it's unbelievable, and this is now a quotation from uh, the Voice of Wales, which has been embedded in Big G's blog. It's unbelievable that we're living in times where the journalist is arrested, charged, and put before a judge, not a jury, David, for daring to report. Alternative media, such as Voice of Wales, is growing ever more popular because more and more people are getting fed up with the biased mainstream media pumping out constant propaganda. Voice of Wales was established to fill a gap in media coverage in Wales, and we are proud to say that we are not puppets controlled by the Senedd, that's the Welsh Legislative Assembly. That, I think, has been their undoing, although it may be their redoing, given the amount of support, because this uh, appears to have backfired just as surely as the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago has done. Um, so if we advance that, we'll see that the Voice of Wales themselves at the time, look at the top right-hand corner of this uh, Qumran arrest in uh, January, uh, put this uh, statement out, which I think is pretty hard, but... Uh, see what you think of this, David, and see how much is comparable with, with Scotland. The communist coalition ruling from Cardiff, which in your case would be Edinburgh, would pre prefer that the Welsh public uh, would only receive propaganda from left-wing media sources. It has been noted that a chief inspector from the Gwent senior command team personally attended to deal with the protest in Qumran. Very unusual and not normal procedure. It was also apparent from his comments to staff at the scene uh, that the chief inspector was well aware that he was dealing with journalists before he came on scene. A very large team of plainclothes officers was quickly assembled at huge cost to investigate a relatively minor incident involving three protesters. As discussed in a previous article, Who Controls the Police in Wales? And again, I'll be interested to what you say about Scotland in a moment. Policing is not devolved to the Senedd, or in your case, to Holyrood. Well, it is in your, in your case because the, the devolution's gone further there and Scotland has its own justice system. But Westminster only provides 36% of funding to Welsh police forces. The rest is provided from within Wales, largely through council tax, I think. Welsh police forces are also controlled by this 2010 invention, the Police and Crime Commissioners, and the Senedd and their commissioners. Therefore, they have a huge influence on police actions. In other words, the, the tafia, as it's often called, the Welsh 
political scene in Cardiff can actually use the Welsh police forces as their stooges if they wished. And Voice of Wales has previously posted before this arrest a video showing one of the arrested men, Stan, interviewing the First Minister of Wales, Mark Drayford, in Swansea. And they say his hatred and his opinion on the journalists are on view for all to see. Uh, well, yes, before we go to the last slide for this segment, how much of this is applicable to Scotland? Oh, it's worse in Scotland. We, we have only one police force for a start. Um, it's meant to be overseen by uh, an organisation called the Scottish Police Authority, which has been in constant turmoil for years. Um, and when one of the leaders of the Scottish Police Authority resigned, uh, essentially citing that the job was undoable, um, she specifically quoted political interference in policing as part of the problem. So it's, it's visible. It was very visible with the Salmon trial. Uh, which would have shamed many a, a third world dictatorship. And uh, it's getting forever worse. Um, the government's um, financial power controls the third sector, so people who find themselves on the wrong side of injustice can't get support regularly there. Uh, and the police uh, will not investigate government uh, official wrongdoing, um, but rather they see themselves as the protectors of those wrongdoers from uppity members of the public, and that very much includes uppity members of the public who wish to engage in journalism. Uh, on our stories, we are watching section at the bottom of the homepage, ukcolumn.org, which people should check more and more often because you and I are putting more and more material there. Just a few days ago, we had uh, a quotation of someone saying that Nicola Sturgeon is above the law, and that do, does seem to apply to Drakeford in Wales. Well, just to finish off this segment then, uh, just a, a still captured from uh, uh, the Lawrence Fox uh, uh, incident. Well, it's not really his incident, but he publicised what went on. This is from Reclaim the Media on YouTube, uh, talking about uh, someone being offended by an image on social media. This is called Bad Law, the Rise of the British Gestapo. Uh, in, in, in fact, in this case, this wasn't the uh, widely publicised Lawrence Fox um, uh, issue uh, that more people have seen, although Fox is involved in this one. Uh, this is regarding uh, a veteran who was uh, very much uh, you know, intimidated or they, they attempted it. So it's happening more and more in Britain and uh, it's actually uh, a matter of lawfare, I think, what is, is what's coming on now. It's, it's uh, waging war against people using law and pseudo-law because you know you can't get them in any other way in, um, uh, through, through legitimate offences. So Christian Concern, which we'll be featuring later again, is reporting uh, that a lady who is a candidate for uh, the mayoralty of one of the London boroughs, Lewisham, named Maureen Martin, had a 13-year unblemished record working in a housing association, the London and Quadrant Housing Trust, where she had dealed, in fact, with homosexual people with nothing but praise. But when it became known to her employer, the London and Quadrant Housing Trust, that Maureen Martin had a campaign pitch for the mayoralty of her borough, which talks about marriage being between a man and a woman, uh, they told her that she was potentially bringing her employers into disrepute, was accused of gross misconduct and was fired. So at this stage, that is something which Christian Concern uh, is mounting a petition about. And uh, you've seen, I think, again, fairly similar things going on in Scotland, although not with people standing for political office yet. I think this is new and, even for Scotland. And, and in the southwest, we've had the, the Bristol Four uh, uh, street preachers who were, were targeted for, for government control action. And again, it was Christian Concern who came to their defence and, and, and mounted a campaign. And we're seeing increasingly the... the groups out with the controlled third sector 
uh, groups like Christians Concerned, the Christian Institute and others, uh, are championing people who are being discriminated against in this way. And there is still sufficient uh, integrity left in the courts that they're very often successful. But it does take that because employers, uh, local authorities uh, and senior police officers no longer seem to know what the law is. Yes, and the law is often undefined. Uh, someone in the chat box is pointing out that gross misconduct is undefinable. It's more particularly adjectives, like in this case gross, which are very much subjective terms and left to secondary legislation or in the case of a dismissal, they're left to the personnel employees, the human rights uh, staff and the tribunals to interpret. But on to uh, three separate uh, reports from Germany, which we'll try to get through more quickly to stay on time. Uh, these are all from people who subscribe to my Telegram channel, Eastern Approaches, very intelligent British people who either live in Germany or who visit. Uh, the first of them says uh, he's giving an interim report and says that the Berlin EU headquarters of WEFism is ramping up their oligarchic fascism in Germany. From October onwards, it will be back to the full madness and worse. This criminal insanity still needs to be passed through the pretense of a parliament, but the authorities also decided to jail a GP, a family doctor, to make an example of him, who tried to help resistance against the madness last time around on the mask insanity. This prosecution happened this week. In other words, it's a message for next winter. Rapists and serious criminals often receive more lenient sentences than this honest and caring lady doctor. The psychologically disturbed health minister, that's Karl Lauterbach, uh, and the subscriber says that that's why Lauterbach was selected for office, visited Fauci for new orders in the States last week and caught the COVID, apparently, after having had an alleged four shots. Let's go on to see what the, the, the else is said by this subscriber. Lauterbach is going total Nazi mode. In spite of the clear lack of any efficacy of the digital eugenic injections, their dubious role in making for more infection, and their very demonstrable severe other side effects. I assume he received new orders from Fauci and the criminal traitorous oligarchy. The orders probably being to lead hard from Germany now. So the US bosses allegedly are telling uh, Lauterbach to make Germany lead Europe because the resistance in other areas is growing increasingly in the red states in the US. But within the U uh, Europe, I would say Germany's neighbor, the Netherlands, where I live, is an example of people not taking this nonsense anymore. Uh, so this first subscriber says this will be a great test for the people of Germany. Will they follow the oligarchic psychopaths and sociopaths, sociopaths still? Or will they do, line up and do what most Germans never do? That is to say, nine to authority. How many will resist this time will be find out, found out soon. Uh, I won't read the rest of that slide, but the key point is that Italy's even worse for public compliance and public sheepishness in this uh, subscriber's view than Germany. I would tend to agree, actually. There's many notable dissidents in Germany and not many in Italy. And, and what that subscriber is, is pointing out is the lack of trust that, that results uh, in a government when the government's clearly following an agenda, which is not the agenda of either the voters or the parliament or anything that's visible, but it's something which is hidden, something that's concealed, as something where he's speculating that Fauci was giving him instructions, but the, the, the key point is it's very clear that somebody mm. is given instructions and we don't know who, and it's certainly not anyone that we can vote out of office or hold to account. Again, it's not the White House, is it? It's, it's something else within the US in this case, which 
tells the White House and allied governments like or occupied governments like Germany what to do. But let's press on and see what Lauterbach has been doing. There's one of the very best bloggers in the world is a German who goes by the pseudonym Eugupius. Uh, he calls his blog a plague chronicle. And he's reporting that Lauterbach, and look, this isn't, this isn't uh, a rip take. Lauterbach really does the full German thing and has his Twitter profile set to Professor Karl Lauterbach. Lauterbach. He's saying here, uh, anyone who is still doubting the efficacy of masks against COVID, look at this new Amerikanische Megastudie, which has an evaluation of over 1,700 studies. The, uh, use, the usefulness of masks is very gross, is very great. What, a, what a, an interesting uh, Freudian slip by me. Very great. It is uh, it's not disputed and it's applicable in many areas. But Eugupius goes on to say in this short um, blog, in which he calls Lauterbach Europe's most notable stupid person, that the study was cobbled together by se uh, American med, med school sophomores. But uh, on to the second of these reports. Uh, I was in Germany last week, writes a Glaswegian subscriber, visiting friends for the first time since the madness began. I arrived in Munich at 1730, less than an hour after landing, as he was traveling on the S-Bahn, the regional train. A fellow passenger asked me loudly, where is your mask? When I said I was exempt, he retorted, no one is exempt. This led very quickly to a heated argument in which I'm afraid I lost my temper. And this is a, a translator, so he knows his German very well, and said that the guy was a fascist and had Blockwart mentalität, the, uh, uh, the, the, the prison warder mentality. He said he'd hit me if I said that one more time. Uh, the subscriber adds, in conversation with my friends afterwards, I realized that these accusations had been imprudent because they came across to him as suggesting he would participate in mass murder. But look, significantly, a woman on the S-Bahn trying to uh, make uh, the, the, the visiting Scotsman see sense and put on the, the mask to show he was good for bourgeois. She said, wir machen das, weil es gewollt ist, using an impersonal passive. We do this because it is wished. In other words, by the authorities. Uh, although to be very charitable, it's also a phrase used in German and Dutch to mean it's what good people do, but probably did mean the, 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 uh, the unnamed agent, the wisher, is the authorities. As one of my friends commented afterwards, adds the subscribers, also nicht weil es sinnvoll ist, sondern nur gewollt ist. So in other words, uh, the, the, the person hearing this, oh, I see. So she didn't want you to do this because there was any reason for it, but because it's desired, because someone wants it to be so. Uh, and on this point, I'll bring in C.J. Hopkins, who lives in Germany and who risks prosecution by drawing attention to this. But he's talking about the Nazi parallels of the constant changes to the Infektionsschutzgesetz, the Infection Protection Act, which has been fiddled with for the last two years and which is the, uh, the way to drive a coach and horses through the German basic law, the Grundgesetz. So C.J. Hopkins is showing that uh, appealing to the Germans' love of safety, particularly on the roads where they think they're the world's best, uh, they have used these idioms or these visual idioms of winter tires and chained tires against snow uh, to show that uh, belt and braces approaches should be adopted. And from the 1st of October right through to, uh, to Easter, the, the white column on the left shows that in all of those settings where you can see FFP2, you have to wear a pig snout mask. Not just any mask will do, but an FFP2. That's public transport, that's doing business with government, that's going to eat out. And if the snow chains have to be brought out, if they say there has been a rise on top of it merely being winter, uh, or half the year actually, winter and autumn, winter and spring, then uh, in addition, uh, people are going to be told to wear pig snout masks even when they're dining out. Uh, and even actually when visiting uh, Christmas stalls or whatever on in the open air. Um, on top of that, uh, C.P. Hopkins I, report. Go I, on. I, I was just, could we bring Debbie in at this moment? I, yes. see, I see her laughing. I'm sure she's got something <laughs> to add. 
Oh my goodness, what do I say? Good afternoon, everybody. I mean, yes, we had that picture, didn't we, of Susan Mickey sitting on a train in an FFP, you know, one of these, but they all come sweeping through my door when it floods. So it's insane. But you know, one thing that I do, I mean, they can't have it both ways. Either we need biohazard bins for all of these masks, or it's perfectly safe to come swimming through my door. But on another note, it seems that the NHS has pulled muscle over the government because I'm noticing in NHS hospitals and clinics, all of a sudden you've got to wear a mask, but there's no government's guidance into masks at the moment. So it seems like the NHS are just making it up as they go along. That's absolutely it. But the Germans don't like making things up as they go along, David. They have to have it all uh, on paper. And so we're getting this being trotted out, but it's the norm being enforced in many other European countries, including Britain. Well, C.P. Hopkins, the blogger in Germany, continues that, and this was foreseen last year by smart German commentators, Berlin has done what a federal state actually, to be fair, should do, but they were expecting this to happen anyway to, to shift the blame. They were telling the 16 Bundesländer, these federal states, to go on top of, to gold, to, to gold plate these federal health regulations so they can impose mask mandates in shops, restaurants or any other kind of indoor space, even on top of what Berlin has said and demand testing in kindergartens and daycare facilities. That's Kita. So these these uh, these uh, data care facilities they have in Germany and in restaurants, bars, theatres, museums, sports facilities and pretty much everywhere else in society. I'm suspecting also churches. The federal states in Germany can now demand that people show proof of recent vaccination or recovery. Here it comes. This is a reversal of last year's policy to be exempted from having to wear a mask. OK, so Hopkins translates that as this. That and this is this is, I think, his own Twitter account starting this October in New Normal Deutschland. People who refuse to show their vaccination or test result papers will be ordered to wear the pig snouts in public to identify themselves as Untermenschen. And he uh, lays on three times in this piece. He is not saying that this is new Nazi policy straight out because you can get prosecuted for that in Germany. But let's zip through to the last one. We really must crack on. The third of my subscribers on the Telegram channel says, just been to Germany. Not only were masks ubiquitous on the cheap train between towns, but an old man gave me, gave me a lecture because my nose was visible. Sei intelligent, he said. Be smart. I tried to say in my broken German that intelligence involves following the data, which you are not. I continued and don't feel really proud of it. The whole world is now laughing at the Germans who think they're the most intelligent, pacifist anti-Nazis who send artillery to Nazi Ukraine. He continues, as far as I know, there is no actual mandate to wear a mask, just a recommendation. On the trams and Frankfurt, only about 20% were bimasks. So, yeah, quick, quickly on to what else is happening in Germany. Reuters is reporting that German household gas prices are now three and a half thousand euros for an average family uh, per year. So, you know, three, 300 a month. Uh, half of all households in Germany require gas heating. And of course, this is to do with the uh, uh, sanctions in response to the Russia-Ukraine war. Uh, so this is going to lead to quite a lot of unemployment. One that you spotted, David, on the next slide is that the Telegraph has picked up that the Ukraine war and the concomitant rising energy costs could put just shy of a quarter of a million Germans out of work and wipe £220 billion off the economy. The German economy could shrink by nearly 2%. 
The rest of Europe is no longer buying as many German-made goods because the whole of Europe is impoverished because they have the same raising, raised gas bills. Employment and who's, who's going to and hospitality is mentioned. Who's going to visit Germany with the pig snout laws in place? So by 2028, the forecast is German employment could be 150,000 people lower than it would have been without the Ukraine war, according to the German Institute for Employment Research. Finally, in the German section, several pictures from Die Welt of several fires which have broken out uh, in electric bus depots. Uh, and I, uh, some subscribers take me to task and say I must call them electronic buses, but that's been entrenched in, in colloquial language, so they are electric buses. Here we have 25 buses burning in a Stuttgart depot, that's in southwestern Germany. Six were injured in that one. In June, a bus depot in Hanover in the, in the north central area of Germany uh, burned down. Uh, and at the start of April in Dusseldorf in the Rhineland, uh, there was another uh, great big uh, burning a, a, a fire on the 1st of April. And uh, in that single incident, 40 buses were lost, not so many injured that time. Not just Britain either, it's not just Germany either. France is introducing biometric health cards as it's part of the winter push. And this is because French so-called conservative politicians think this is to stop immigrants perpetrating benefit fraud. So the French Vital card is linked directly to people's bank accounts. What could possibly go wrong here? Oh. <laughs> and uh, I think you've got one more click for this section, David. Yes, this is this takes us to show to, to show that the, the British Isles are not doing much better. This is only tenuously linked to the rest of the section, but you could call it uh, Anglo-American colonialism of the new style, uh, telling rural nations, including Ireland, what to do. So RTE primetime, uh, Ireland's most listened to chat show, I think, or political uh, format of any kind. Um, George Monbiot uh, of the Oxfordshire Cotswolds is not at all imperialistically telling Miriam O'Callaghan, one of the main anchors in, in the Irish mainstream media, that the Irish must stop farming. That's right, the army, Irish must get, must get rid of all their farms. So let's listen to the two minutes of that clip now. This country, George, there's a big emphasis on agriculture and how agriculture needs to cut its emissions. And I know it's an, it's an issue you feel very strongly about. You've said that agriculture is arguably the most destructive industry on earth. Explain, and, and do you still believe that, George? It's by far and away the greatest cause of habitat destruction, the greatest cause of wildlife loss, the greatest cause of extinction, greatest cause of soil loss, greatest source of fresh water use. It's one of the greatest causes of climate breakdown, um, bigger than transport, um, one of the primary causes of water pollution and of air pollution. So it's right at the top. Oh, and sorry, I forgot to say land use, the biggest issue of all. It's by far and away the greatest um, um, uh, form of land use that, that humans um, inflict on the planet, which means all that land is land which can't be used for wild ecosystems. And while obviously we need farming, we need to minimise those impacts. We, we need um, to act as drastically within that sector as any other sector to prevent the collapse of our life support systems. And what that means above all else is getting out of livestock farming, is really shutting down animal farming altogether because that has massively disproportionate impacts on the living planet. And we need to switch towards other sources of food, plant-based diets, which are far more efficient, far lower environmental impacts, but also switch out of farming altogether to produce protein-rich foods, which we can do through precision fermentation, brewing George, microbes. I can hear farmers all over this small country of ours shocked and perhaps screaming at their televisions because they're saying, are you saying all animal farming, in, in, in your opinion, really needs to stop? 
Yes, it does. It really does. Um, it's a bit like leaving fossil fuels in the ground. Unless we do that, we've really got very little chance indeed of preventing this domino effect of system collapse right across Earth okay. systems, which basically makes the planet uninhabitable. So eating meat and milk and eggs is an indulgence we cannot afford. I'd wow. Like Yes, wow indeed. I'd like to bring the Debbie on briefly there because in, in that solemn voice that only the English upper classes can affect, he tells us all that instead of dairy and meat, we will be brewing microbes. So I'd like you to comment on that, Debbie, because we haven't been managed to put it up yet, but in your latest weekly blog, you have mentioned that the fast food giants um, are very interested in what they can do with fake meat uh, and that they are both, and I've seen this driving around Devon, they've both instituted loyalty schemes, which I never saw fast food giants doing before. And in the chat box, somebody has independently said, listening to George Monbiot, quote, the burger places will be delighted. So do you actually foresee that the, the push will be towards fast food cultivated microbes? Oh, do you know what? I mean, anything's on the table, isn't it? But with regards to George Monbiot, you know what, I don't believe a word that comes out of his mouth because I've had personal dealings with George Monbiot because I, I reached out to him knowing that so many thousands of people are living in wastewater, living in raw sewage. Was he interested to talk to us? No. So it's very selective. So who is George Monbiot? You know, lots of questions around him. And I dread to think what we're going to be fed in the future. It looks like bugs, isn't it? I think. Well, let's let's bugs hope and, bu and bugs and bugs on both sides of of the literal meaning, if you know what I mean. We're getting we're getting quite close to us be, us all being property of the Soylent Green Biscuit Company, and uh, I was particularly struck by his attack on land use per se. That simply simply human beings occupying the land is now being viewed as a great crime, um, without any evidence that that it's that it's that it's harmful. And without any um, consideration to the benefit it brings to uh, to to humanity. So, so people with abundant water and who live on their own land, such as crofters on Scottish islands, might be the first to go for the chop. Well, they're already suffering. Um, we've got here a little piece from the Telegraph: a catastrophic ferry failure by Nicola Sturgeon leaves Scottish islanders rationing. So we've got rationing back. Uh, the old joke about what happens if socialism takes over the Sahara Desert. For the first six years, everything's fine. After that, you run out of sand. Well, the Scottish government has now run out of ferries. Uh, the uh, ferry fleet has a design life of 25 years. The average life of a Scottish ferry, the average age of a Scottish ferry is now 24 and a bit years, and they're breaking down quite a lot. The result is um, great distress for the islanders. Um, so we hear this, uh, the Telegraph here reports some shops were forced to ration essential items like milk and bread over the weekend after the ferry operated by Edinburgh and Calmac was taken out of service for a third time in a matter of weeks. The Herald reported, quote, I don't understand. What I don't understand is why the SNP from the Western Isles aren't spitting mad. Why are they not doing what I'm doing and calling for Parliament to be recalled? Uh, their blood pressure should be sky high, said uh, Willie Rennie, uh, former leader of the Scottish Liberal Democrats. Uh, so he's calling for some political action, but the SNP, um, true to their political objectives, uh, see no problem, even though they're meant to be the representatives of those same people who are undergoing rationing. Um, we uh, come to our, our advert break uh, now, ladies and gentlemen. So 
If uh, you uh, enjoy what we're, we're providing here, if you feel that uh, this, uh, this new service is of, of uh, worth to you, please join us. The community page, community.ukcolumn.org, has various ways where you can support us financially. Uh, there's also the uh, ever-popular shop where we can, we can uh, help you out with uh, UK Column t-shirts and bags and pens and uh, tote bags and um, badges and many other fine products. And of course, please share our content and get the information uh, out there on social media, uh, let people know it's coming from the UK column, but get the information out. It's all free to share and to paste and to circulate. And finally, we remind you we've got uh, AV12 uh, is coming up and uh, please uh, go to thealternativeview.co.uk for tickets to join that. I would very strongly recommend that, uh, that you go to uh, the virtual AV12 uh, and also this fundraiser, which we're delighted to be sharing on behalf of our old uh, colleague and very much still valued friend, Louise Collins, who runs Liberty Tactics. And she is in the vanguard reporting on some Welsh mothers who themselves are in the vanguard British Isles wide and Europe wide in fighting back against the sexualization of small children in schools. In Wales, that takes the form very insidiously of a deliberately combined subject called religious and sexual education, RSE, so that if you object to it, you're regarded as being anti-ethics. Uh, but do find out from Liberty Tactics what's going on. And this fundraiser page uh, by Public Child Protection Wales, the link will be down in the show notes under this upload by this evening, uh, is extremely worthy of your support because that will allow the mothers uh, to continue their legal fight. And this will re have repercussions far beyond Wales. And uh, finally, Alex and I will both be in Scotland next week. Uh, there's going to be a UK column get-together on Tuesday in Motherwell, and we'll, uh, we'll post full details on the website and in the news on Friday regarding that. So it'll be Tuesday evening, 7.30 in Motherwell for a UK column gathering. And uh, we're both speaking at an anti-war uh, event in Govan the following day. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's Wednesday the 17th. So we hope to see uh, our Scottish uh, viewers and listeners uh, at one or both of those. And you have more for our Scottish viewers right now. Well, we have anger. Uh, we have anger at a White Lives Matter uh, banner on Dundee Law. A White Lives Matter banner was displayed on Dundee Law, which is a large hill which dominates the, the city of Dundee, seen from miles around. Uh, it sparked sadness and anger. Uh, city leaders are saying racism deniers, racism deniers will not be tolerated. So it's not sufficient to be a racist to be condemned. But simply, if you deny racism, you're being condemned. So I thought that was quite interesting. Um, and um, so a council officer, um, Sir Alexander, said, council officers have checked the site, and I'm relieved there's no trace remaining of this banner. I'm saddened to see these slogans appearing at prominent locations in Scotland. It's an attempt, most often by the far right, I don't think he's got any evidence for that, to trivialise, excuse and ignore discrimination, hate and violence endured by people of colour. Uh, our city is welcoming and tolerant place and this is something that the people of Dundee are proud of. Do you think that's right? Do you think a banner which says White Lives Matter, Alex, is an attempt to trivialise violence endured by people of colour? No, you, you have to really think uh, the worst of people, assume bad faith in order to think that. You know, the, the only way we can have civil society, a concept pioneered in Scotland with that very name in the mid 18th century, is if we assume good faith on each other's part until and unless people show that they have other meanings for the words than what you what they have on first 
viewing. Uh, but the, the, the banner White Lives Matter suggests uh, people who are disgruntled and feel disadvantaged and wish to draw attention to their own plight. Yes. So here we have uh, more from uh, officials in Dundee. Uh, it is believed that the sign was erected as a counter response to the Black Lives Matter movement, a worldwide campaign for racial equality. Now, I don't actually think that that is what the Black Lives Matter movement is. I think it's a politicised campaign for essentially uh, critical race theory. I don't think it's anything to do with racial equality, but still. Uh, Nadia El-Nakla, the council's equality spokesperson, so the council's got an equality spokesperson, so that's good, said, no one has said white lives don't matter. The conversation right now is specifically about black lives because since colonization until the present day, Black people have been tortured, enslaved, abused, and killed by white people. David, when did you last come across a black person being tor tortured in the east of Scotland? Well, it's, it's, it's illegal. I've never seen it happen because it's illegal. We would call the police. We would defend the poor person. It, 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 this, is, this is not only strange, it's, it's very racist language. It's very racially charged language. She added, until systematic racism is dismantled and is no longer dismissed, so we have to dismantle it, but not, not dismiss it, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, then the activism of Black Lives Matter movement will continue. Denying racism and hijacking an anti-racist movement is racist and calculated. It will not be tolerated in Dundee. Do you know what uh, one of our subscribers has just said in the chat, David? Nadia Elnakla, she's been to university. Is that unfair? <laughs> I'm sure she's been to very good I'm university. I'm sure she's been to university, and, but that's and, rather pertinent to it, isn't it? Yes, and I'm sure that uh, the, it wasn't engineering or pure mathematics that was studied either. Um, so here we see this overtly racially charged um, language, which is related to uh, critical race theory, which is all about dividing people. We'll come to this in a minute. What would the famous Scottish detective uh, cop uh, Taggart make of this? What, what do you think he'd say? There's been a banner. There's been a banner. Mm. <laughs> so she's saying, look, no one's saying anything about white people. White people, white people have it easy. Okay. Now, ignoring the Take man it from Nadia. manifest um, historical inaccuracy of that, uh, we've got something more recent. So here's Turning Point USA. Um, this is a woman who is giving a seminar at a professional organization, and she's saying, uh, all white people are racist demons. This was within the last four years or so, I think. Yes. All right. Now, this is where this goes, because America's a few years further on. This attack on people's identity, which is what, what the critical race theory is about. It's about destroying society by relentless criticism. In this case, criticizing people for the color of their skin. So this is where we're going. And if we don't do something about it and resist it, this is where we'll end up. Uh, turning point, uh, USA continue. Ashley Shackelford addressed a room full of self-loathing white liberals and proceeded to unload a boatload of racial sentiments in an effort to educate them about their whiteness. First, she said that all whites are born into life that is not human and that they are taught to be demons. Then she said all, all white people are racist. Um, it was indeed a blatant push of critical race theory. And this is what it's about. It's not something to do with the colour of people's skin. That's entirely secondary to the issue here. It's about destruction of society. And this is where critical race theory comes in. And I've got just one example of this from Britannica here. Um, one of the aspects of this, critical race theories argued that laws that explicitly impose a neutral standard with respect to race, in other words, fair laws, um, are capable of addressing only the most egregious form of race-based oppression and often have only limited, although still valuable, 
practical benefits for disadvantaged minority groups, affording them equality of treatment or opportunity, but not equality of results. So what it calls for is to, is to use the law to um, target the quote op oppressor group, in this case white people, for discrimination um, in order to lift up the quote uh, oppressed unquote people. That's lawfare um, again. Yes, lawfare. Mm -hmm. um, and what this will do is of course destroy society because it will in, in, it will encourage people to be at one another's throats forever to try and get control of the political system that's oppressing them. This is, this is extremely harmful and is nothing about fairness or reasonableness or equality or uh, any of these concepts. Um, and I think the fact that we're seeing that the Dundee Council have a paid staff member who is now pushing critical race theory across Dundee City Council's area is extremely concerning. Uh, certainly. Uh, what about the historically oppressed people of Dundee, namely the Irish immigrants? Are they getting a look in or are they suddenly no longer Irish and therefore um, uh, up in the stakes, but are they suddenly white and therefore down in the oppression stakes? I, I don't think they really rate highly enough anymore. Um, I'm sorry, I don't think that's uh, help for the Irish. Help for the Irish doesn't seem to be on the cards, even in Ireland, because Irish farmers are not going to be allowed to farm. Exactly so. Uh, while all this racial hot air is being generated, real racialized uh, things are going on. Uh, so Mark Stein is to be very heavily commended for having laid in to the uh, Greater Manchester Police officers last week, uh, who uh, has now been discovered, uh, allowed a 12-year-old girl to be raped repeatedly four, five, six, seven times, or whatever it was, through the night by various people. Uh, and the, the charge is that nobody wanted to take it seriously because they were Pakistanis. As we have often said on UK Column, this is only a small part of the story, but we don't deny it. So you can see Mark Stein there at the moment. I've taken the screen capture um, saying that, uh, that this, the 12-year-old was raped again and again because the desk officer at the Oldham uh, police station uh, did, couldn't be bothered to take her report. Brian Gerrish, who's not with us today, has had very similar in Devon. He's had uh, a red-faced police, I don't think even a sergeant, but senior to that, shouting at him, get out of my police station, when Brian attempted to bring a similarly horrendously abused victim uh, to the police to make sure that she wasn't given that just that kind of brush off. If you want chapter and verse, and I know people don't like this source, but I'm going to recommend it because I find them to be the best at the moment, Patriotic, Patriotic Alternative, and more particularly their Telegram channel, Patriotic Alternative Northwest, have put out a very good media statement, which I will link to stories we're watching a few hours after broadcast at the bottom of the homepage, ukcolumn.org, uh, giving chapter and verse on just how much of a nest of corruption, as described by Stein, there is between the councillors the Member of Parliament and the um, public authorities and the police involved. It's all about the, uh, the, the blowing up of a mass block vote. Final thought from me on this, David. Uh, I just asked a moment ago how outrageous it would be to suggest that black people are still being tortured in the east of Scotland. But I can think of a recent example, Sheku Bayo in Fife. But of course, he was being tortured by police officers. By Police Scotland, yes. And this has been characterised again as, as a race-based incident. Uh, and. Uh, there may well have been an element of that, but of course we've seen that this sort of abuse by the police happens to people of all uh, types and colours and ethnicities and is uh, associated with the state viewing uh, the, the people as uh, simply a, a problem to be controlled. Absolutely so. Uh, so we're uh, going to move across now to uh, Debbie Evans and uh, her ongoing um, uh, interaction with the MHRA 
the world's leading regulator. Uh, Debbie, welcome. Welcome back. So, what, Thank what, you, what, gentlemen. What is the latest on the MHRA? Well, I just want to focus actually on the MHRA and a little bit on AstraZeneca. But um, I sent a letter to, well, an email to Dame June Rain, and I put her under a little bit of pressure. And you'll see it, you'll see it there. You might just, if one of you could read it out for me or, or the part of it, maybe the, the top paragraph, that would be helpful because it's a little bit small on my screen. But I was basically asking her for information that she hasn't given me. Dear Dame June Rain, this is dated 27th of July from you, Debbie Evans. Despite making three Freedom of Information requests, and despite submitting questions at both the April and the June MHRA board meetings, which I attended, I have not received any answers. Neither have I had a reply or response as a result of my official complaints. You stated to Stephen Lightfoot in the June board meeting that all members of the public who had submitted questions had received a written response. This is incorrect. Despite my raising this in the comments box for an official correction, it was ignored. Therefore, it appears that you are misrepresenting the public by giving the chair the wrong information, misinformation. I was genuinely shocked, considering that there were two hours for this to have been recorded. What other incorrect information have you been giving the board? She is, of course, the CEO. I would like to put you on notice, you continue, that if I have not had comprehensive and satisfactory answers to all my questions by 5 p.m. on the 1st of August, I will assume that you have no answers and we will make our own assumptions based on our own scientific and pharmacovigilance experts, given that you have had four months to reply. Uh, David, that's a fair reversal of the burden of proof, isn't it? Because you've given, in, in, as, as in equity and, uh, and civil law, you've given one side the opportunity to disprove your assertions and they haven't. Exactly so. And did you get a response, Debbie? No. Absolutely nothing. Um, not even an acknowledgement that my email had been received. So as you can see, I'll take that as that they don't have any answers and that we really do need to be listening to our own pharmacovigilance experts and, and uh, the doctors that are speaking up because clearly the MHRA, um, well, acronym is HARM, isn't it? So they're living up to their acronym. Okay, and uh, you've got some more information here uh, on spinning the vaccine adverse reaction data. Yes, um, I can't quite see the screen there very well, but what I need people to be aware of is that we were having weekly data. And if you go onto the front page of UK Column, you'll see that Mike has put a, an amazing connection to the yellow card data. That data now is going to be monthly not weekly so people that are looking for it that want up-to-date information then it's going to and, and this really worries me because it's like it's like these people these adverse reactions are starting to disappear and it also says on the government website that the Pfizer um, and AstraZeneca can now be used as effective boosters as can Moderna. Now I've never known any of these manufacturers give a cast iron guarantee that it's okay to mix manufacturers and yet we seem to be very keen to mix manufacturers and the government are taking the risk. So I just give the shout out there to keep an eye out on the MHRA data because clearly it's getting less and less and that's what worries me more than anything. Now, we had a very good uh, piece from the Daily Skeptic who had asked, again via FOI, uh, had asked MHRA for details of their process 
by which they followed up the adverse reaction reports on the yellow card system. Um, so what was their what was their response, Debbie? Uh, they don't have a process. Um, this was this was an FOI that, if you go and have a look at the Daily Skeptic, it was submitted by uh, Nick Denham, who was a senior civil servant in a government department, and it would appear that the MHRA has no process. And you know what worries me as well, um, and I should have added this earlier. What worries me is that we are hearing from people that have reported yellow cards. Their yellow card, they get given a, a case number and an account so that they can update that account with, with any other serious reactions that they may get. Apparently, these have been deactivated. So I would say to anybody, if you have submitted a yellow card, please go and check that your account is still live. It would appear that the MHRA are deactivating them, but are reactivating them if you alert them. So I would just say, just be careful, just Give give them a an e drop them an email and make sure your account's still valid. Okay, uh, so we we could if we go forward just a little bit. We've got AstraZeneca um, with uh, what science can do. Um, yeah, uh, now David, what what I really wanted just to highlight really quickly with the slide that you see on the screen, this the the picture on the left is elderly Edge and AstraZeneca used to employ four thousand people here. And they had a hospital there where they did their own clinical trials, wards, research nurses, doctors. Honestly, it was like amazing. And then they sold it, although they've still got 500 employees there, but they moved to the Discovery Park in Cambridge where they've only got 500 employees. And my point is, is that we're seeing a lot of employees that were with AstraZeneca and other pharmaceutical companies now being employed into the NHS because they've downed their facilities and they're outsourcing clinical trials. So this is one to watch. Where are the clinical trials being outsourced to is my big question. Okay. So we've got a couple of video clips now uh, that, you've, that you've identified. One, the first one is Picnic in the Park. Can you give us an introduction to that? Yes. Um, I'm, well, all I'm going to say is super powerful and everybody that watches this, please, please, will you share it? Because these people must not be forgotten. I won't say any more than that. Please just watch and share. On July 16th, 2022, Members of UK CV family gathered in Hyde Park, London for a picnic. We decorated Speaker's Corner with pictures and stories from over a hundred of our members in the hope that passers-by would stop and take just a few minutes out of their day to hold us in their hearts. It wasn't a protest. We're not well enough to protest. It was a chance to gently connect with people who might not know that we exist. Because most of the time, we feel invisible to the world. Many of us have spent well over a year trying to reach out. We don't know if anyone is hearing us. As England has become full of life again, the worlds of the vaccine injured have become smaller and lonelier. But on the day of our picnic, our world became a little less lonely 
as people greeted us with kind eyes and sympathetic smiles, with sad stories of their own, but with encouragement and warmth. Will you join us next time? So for, the, for those listening in audio only, to support those vaccine injury victims, the website is ukcvfamily.org and still on the homepage of ukcolumn.org you can find several pieces of relevance uh, regarding the UKCV family support group and their victims. If I'm not mistaken, that was Charlotte doing that voiceover very sympathetically as well. I know we have uh, the, the uh, great individual that is Dame June Rain answering some questions. June Rain, why has it been a battle for a lot of us to get medical help after suffering an adverse reaction when you yourself said you expected 100,000 adverse reactions? Dame June Rain, I have had life-changing adverse effects from both the AstraZeneca vaccine and the Pfizer booster, but no one in the NHS seems to be able to assist in my recovery or treatment. What would you suggest that my next step be? Dame June Rain, could you please explain why the medical profession, particularly GPs, have refused to acknowledge vaccine injury and death despite the overwhelming reporting to the MHRA? My question to you, June, is why? Why did these get rolled out when these adverse reactions were done in the trials? Why are we still wanting to give this to children? Why have I had no help? Dear Dame Rain, with such a massive vaccination campaign, the few with adverse reactions are many. Why were so many doctors unaware, refused to acknowledge symptoms when presented, and the people affected hung out to dry and not believed ever since? Dame June Rain, why wasn't I given any information about vaccination side effects until after I was vaccinated? When will the MHRA cease to systematically dismiss yellow card reports as within range and coincidental and start to investigate what the actual extent of serious vaccine damage is? Dame June Rain, what protocols could now be put in place to safeguard the current and the future vaccine injured? Ms Rain, do members of the MHRA or the body itself receive funding royalties or research grants from any pharmaceutical companies. We knew your vaccines had serious risks. Why didn't you tell us that this could happen? Hello, I'm 12 months horizontal and quite poorly after the AstraZeneca vaccine. Um, and I know you, you helped approve the first COVID vaccine, so I'd really hope you'd be interested in those of us who've experienced life-changing side effects. Would you be up for a conversation about these and how you can use your influence to help us, please? Uh, obviously, it wasn't June Rain answering any questions. Uh, that would be news. Indeed, it was June Rain being asked questions. And, and what fine and well thought through and well judged and important questions they were. And these are the things that we've been trying to get answers uh, from the MHRA concerning for oh, well over a year now. And there has been no answers to any of these questions. Uh, Debbie, would you like to say a few final words on this subject before we, we have to move on due to time? Um, 
no, all I want to say that we are not going to forget. And it's far bigger than these, these people that are brave enough to stand out, these people that want their lives back. You know, there are thousands and thousands more. There are thousands of people that are coming out of remission in cancer and that all of a sudden are, are becoming very ill. There are people with other illnesses that don't realize that they are suffering from a vaccine serious adverse reaction. We must give these people a voice. We must not forget them. So I would just urge everybody, please, can we keep on the case of the MHRA? Hit that board meeting, show them that you're viewing, email uh, Dame June Rain. it doesn't matter how many times you do it, we cannot give up because we are these people's voices now. They're getting weaker. We need to get stronger and walk with them. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Uh, uh, final section here, uh, Alex, uh, this is regarding some more unusual restrictions on freedom. No prey zones are coming to a city near you, wherever you are in the British Isles, including the Irish Republic. Here we have Manchester City Council uh, reporting that in Winstead Grove, near uh, in Fallowfield, uh, there's going to be a, uh, an order in place soon, which they're consulting on, forbidding people specifically from praying. That's the end of point one on, uh, on screen. Uh, this prayer is regarded as part of protest under bullet point one. So prayer is a kind of protest and can be banned. There is also mention of persons in a restricted area who have to be moved on by a constable, but also even mentioned before a constable, they can be told by an authorised person to move on or not to pray. So there's two categories of people who can stop prayer now, constables and authorised persons. In Scotland, the same proposal is growing. There's a member of the Scottish Parliament. In fact, she's only 30 years old, apparently turning 31 tomorrow, Gillian Mackay of the Scottish Greens, reportedly uh, an atheist and uh, uh, unsurprising political profile here, including the worldly wisdom, uh, which uh, you know presumes at that age to be able to say such things. She says, we've seen a rising number of protests outside abortion clinics. For those who need it, abortion is healthcare. Healthcare is a right. No one should be harassed for exercising their bodily autonomy or their right to seek the health care they want or need. Okay, so even the Mackay's admitting that people get abortions who don't need them. Uh, women, I should say, uh, get abortions who don't need them because people don't get pregnant, women do. Uh, so that's now being put through to the Scottish Parliament to have no prey zones there as well. Um, the proposal includes safe access zones, behaviour which is banned, that will presumably include prayer as well and the creation of a criminal offence in Scots law of contravening the provisions of a safe access zone. Banned behaviours include blocking somebody's way, um, intimidating or harassing a person, no definition given, seeking to influence or persuade a person, photographing a person in the zone, and demonstrating with leaflets, very, very naughty. If you repeat offend, you could be in prison for up to two years. Ireland reports Catholic Arena as the same, so this is from late July. Uh, their Twitter account shows uh, many horrors, including this one of people praying the rosary in Limerick City and being sworn at through megaphones for it outside abortion centres. They've tweeted this map. So uh, all the green dots are places where there are no prey zones in place. Uh, one of the hospitals that doesn't have it yet is Letterkenny and Donegal, central to the Doherty case, but many of the others dotted around the country do have no prey zones now. Um, in the insincerity stakes, while all this is going on, 
Sandy Toksvig, for foreign viewers, that's a, a Danish-born uh, well-known presenter and comedian on British television who's been uh, well-known for many years, it's written to the Archbishop of Canterbury. And here's the fake outrage and uh, disingenuous claims of threat to life. She writes in her letter to Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, that young LGBTQ plus people are twice as likely to contemplate suicide as the background population. And she says that this is the Archbishop of Canterbury's fault because they don't feel loved. And Justin has failed to stop saying that homosexuality or homosexual practice is a sin. So uh, she goes on bashing him. Uh, does the Church of England have a naughty step for loving priests? Her definition of loving priests is those who marry homosexual couples. She claims, David, that every death threat she's had down the years has come from an evangelical Christian. Do you believe that? I think that's very surprising. I would, I would doubt that enormously. Quite. Um, more from her. Oh, Justin, how can you be so stuck? The Bible doesn't have much to say about homosexuality. Jesus had nothing to say about homosexuality. She says that the gospel's really simple. It's just be a good person. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of mocking in here as well. Uh, people have moved, humanity's moved on from the days when you could feed a crowd with two loaves and a handful of fish. So she doesn't really have much honor for Jesus. And she says, as chance would have it, her, her wife of 16 years will be attending their neighborhood Anglican church recently. Uh, They're hosting a concert to raise money for local Ukrainian refugees. Uh, but despite this, you know, profligate atheism, uh, well, you know, but, uh, not making no bones about it, she is pretending to be uh, up for being uh, enticed back to the Church of England, as long as the Archbishop of Canterbury uh, does what the LGBTQ pro protest group, not the community, but the protest uh, people want, and stop calling homosexuality a sin. Okay, so uh, it's always interesting when the atheists start lecturing the Christians on their theology, um, and it usually comes down to uh, grievous errors that even the most superficial reading of the Bible would show are just inaccurate. She does promise to forgive him if he does what she wants. That was nice of her. Yes. yes. Uh, and uh, on to a few final slides here. We've got uh, the, the headmaster from the Simpsons School uh, representing the left. And he's wondering, is it strange that my interests align with the media, big tech, big government, the wealthy elite and big pharma? But if he concludes, no, that's just a coincidence. I'm anti-establishment. <laughs> and along with that, you have the shrinking of the news. So from the South Island of New Zealand, you've got this uh, cartoon of a man opening the Otago Daily Times and complaining to his wife, this bloody paper's half the size it used to be. And she, rather wise to these things, says, of course, dear, they used to publish both sides of a story. Also from Kiwiland, uh, we've got a mock award ceremony. And now the Robert Mugabe Award for the destruction of a great little country in record time goes to... And everyone in the crowd already knows Jacinda Ardern with a little help from her friends. This one is going to be quite shocking to some, but given the last segment we've just had, I don't think it's out of place. Uh, and uh, I know with time is run, completely run out, but maybe in a few seconds. Are you shocked and offended by this? This is a, a gleeful nurse uh, holding a, a jab syringe high and saying, I'm just doing my job. And there's a pile of human skulls at her waist. Do no harm. I'm not doing my job. White. So I thought that was not out of place for an and finally. Uh, here's uh, a banquet between two kings and it's a riff on Lord Acton's later, late 19th century saying that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Uh, at the, uh, the wrong end of a banquet, maybe uh, when they're a bit sozzled, one king uh, is talking to another and he says, the new king says to the wise old king, I just acquired absolute power and you've had it for quite a while now. So tell me, 
when does the absolute corruption start kicking in? The joke being, of course, you never feel it creeping up on yourself. And the final and finally is this interesting meme with people burying their heads in the sand of a beautiful beach. It might be the Outer Hebrides, actually, David, by the look of it. And it says, in the past, the truth was hidden, but today people hide from the truth. Well, isn't that true? So uh, I hope that uh, those watching will join us. We're having uh, a short break and then we'll be back for some extra time. Uh, we hope that uh, Brian Gerrish will also jo join us for extra time. Uh, Debbie will be, will be back and so will Alex and I. And uh, we will be talking about many other things, including quite a bit more from Debbie on matters relating to the jabs, uh, the safety case for, from the MHRA and uh, the state of the National Health Service. So join us for that in a few minutes. Thank you very much. Bye bye.